everyone, welcome back to On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today we're gonna be doing something totally different. This is gonna be the start of my Across the Pond saga, where we're gonna break down a lot of different bands over Across the Pond in the UK. I'm really excited about this whole saga. There's gonna be four different tapes, if you will, in this whole saga. So we're first gonna start out with these Manchester bands and bands that were very prominent in the Manchester area. And then we're gonna break down a couple more sections later on. So I'm just really excited to talk about Manchester because I didn't really know a whole lot about Manchester and how Manchester was such a big and is still such a big producer of amazing music. Their bands in Manchester are so unique and they have such a unique sound that in the late 80s into early 90s, there was actually kind of a genre, yeah, genre subculture called Madchester, which kind of involved from what I understand, kind of indie dance kind of bands like Happy Mondays, the Stone Roses were in that mix, um, the Charlatans were in that mix, and a couple of other bands. Obviously, as you can see, we're going to be talking about Oasis, and they came kind of after the whole Madchester movement, if you will. Even though they're from Manchester, Madchester is a whole different kind of genre. Oasis obviously is Britpop. Honestly, I just kind of wanted to break it down in this section to give more of an homage or more of a pedestal to the Manchester scene in general, because I've learned a lot about Manchester, just kind of learning more about the city and all the bands that are in here. And obviously I've known about Oasis my whole life. But I was never one to fully listen to their music or really even appreciate their music for what it is until the last year that I've really listened to their albums and I really appreciate who they are. And yeah, you know, we all know Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher and they're crazy as fuck. <laughs> but anyway, I kind of wanted to give that preface. We're going to be talking about bands from Manchester in this first tape. So yeah, I mean, you know, Manchester, from what I understand, is a very big city. Not as big as London, but it's a very big city. And, you know, like most cities, there's a lot of areas where there might be some crime, there might be some drugs here and there, but there's a big bustling music scene there in Manchester. The Hacienda, if I'm saying that correct, from what I'm recalling, I believe is a nightclub or like a, um, a music club, basically where a lot of up-and-coming bands from that late 80s, kind of 90s period played at that club, the Hacienda. That's kind of where the Manchester scene started, kind of in the Hacienda, that area. Manchester, from what I've learned also, it's kind of that city where a lot of Irish and Scottish people came over to immigrate. That's what happened with Noel and Liam's mother and father, they were of Irish descent and they immigrated over into Manchester. But their parents and their grandparents and so on and so forth, you know, they come from a long line of Irish workers. You know, very hardworking people in Manchester is very much so a city of very hardworking, kind of, you know, middle class. I'm sure there are a lot of kind of lower class, you know, on the poverty line kind of boroughs in Manchester. But, you know, there's a lot of hard workers that live there for those in Ireland or Scotland that wanted to come over for maybe better opportunities, better job opportunities, maybe a better life of some sort, you know, whatever the reason is, they came over to Manchester. Manchester is one of those places that is kind of a melting pot for a lot of cultures. 
but also again, just they're very, 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 very hardworking. And yeah, I kind of wanted to give a slight backstory or just a bit of information on Manchester and kind of all that stuff before I really get into the nitty gritty of Oasis and who Oasis are and what they brought to the table for their music and what they did in the music scene. So I kind of introduced them a little bit, but without further ado, let's break down and get started with the two front men of the band, Noel and Liam Gallagher. So we'll start with Noel. Even though they have an older brother, Paul, we'll start with Noel. Noel was born Noel Thomas David Gallagher on May 29th, 1967. And then Liam is the baby. He was born William John Paul Gallagher on September 21st, 1972. He was born, all those names, William John Paul Gallagher. Um, and they were both born on the Longsight area of Manchester. And like I mentioned before, they came from Irish immigrants. So their mother, Peggy Sweeney, and their father, Thomas Gallagher, they came down, they got married, they moved to Manchester. So later on, though, as the boys grew up, the family later moved to the Burnage suburb of Manchester. And unfortunately, their father, Thomas Gallagher, was actually very physically abusive to the boys. Because Liam was the baby, he didn't really get a lot of the physical abuse. He remarked that he more so saw the abuse on his brothers than him getting it himself. But he says, obviously, it's just as traumatizing if you were to experience a loved one being abused. It's equally as bad if, if he was the one being abused. This horrifically affected Liam, obviously the rest of the boys, but the abuse and witnessing the abuse affected Liam so deeply that this is where he realized that he really wanted to pursue being an artist. You could consider that being an artist would be some kind of reprieve, like an escape for him, just to kind of shut out the world around him and just focus on something that is very positive for him. The mother took Liam, Noel, and Paul, and they moved away from their father when Liam was about 10 years old, and then their parents divorced when Liam was 14, so four years after that point. Throughout the years, they maintained kind of sporadic contact with their dad. Obviously, they didn't have very fond memories of him, but just because he was blood relative, they kept in somewhat contact, but very loose contact. So getting on to their school years, Liam went to St. Bernard's, or Bernard's, however you want to pronounce that, St. Bernard's RC Primary School, and he went to Barlow Roman Catholic High School in Didsbury, and Didsbury is another kind of suburb of Manchester. He and Noel both got into trouble at school. Like, they were both such ruffians, such little hooligans. Liam was actually suspended for three months in school due to fights. You know, he would get into rows with kids in school. You know, he was just one of those kids that just got into fights all the time. But he eventually went back to school and he gained his four GCSEs in 1990. And then, on the other hand, Noel was expelled at school for reportedly throwing a bag of flour over a teacher. I don't know where he got this. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I believe Noel said that his mother was a school custodian. Maybe, um, if I'm remembering correctly, she might have been working with the food in some possible way. So maybe on one of his moments where he visited his mother at work or at school, he took a bag of flour. Oh, the little rascal. I just put that together in my mind. Oh my God, that's funny. So, you know, Liam and Noel, they were getting in trouble. And when Noel was expelled from school, 
what else is a rowdy teenager in Manchester supposed to do? <laughs> he gets in with the really bad crowds around Manchester, and I don't remember the names of the sports clubs that he was a part of, but he was part of like the uh, Manchester football clubs and some of the Irish football clubs. He was in the really bad crowd to the point where he received six months probation at 14, 14 years old for robbing a corner store. Was it worth it? Probably absolutely not. During this probation period, though, he did teach himself how to play guitar, and this guitar was a present from his mother. So at least he was doing something productive that would eventually lead him into the career that we know him to be in. So at this time, when he was just kind of at home, he was expelled from school, he was on probation, he was definitely inspired by the Smiths in particular. The Smiths went on to have a very famous performance on Top of the Pops in 1983. He wanted to be just like Johnny Marr. That's a quote that he said. And Johnny Marr is the guitarist for the Smiths. He's a very prolific Manchester guitarist. The Smiths are from Manchester, so it just all kind of came together. It's like, wow, Johnny Marr can get on the Top of the Pops. Then me, a kid from Manchester, can also get on there one day. I want to be just like him. So that's kind of Noel's backstory a little bit while Liam is at school and kind of on and off as well. Liam was also part of sports clubs. He actually was very much so heavily into the sports than Noel was. Liam wasn't even really interested in music at all. He really was all about the football and football is life over there. <laughs> football is life over there. And so, yeah, it makes sense that he just really thought about sports more than anything, but that all changed when this this is like so crazy to me that this actually happened. But one day, Liam was hit in the head with a hammer from a student at a rival school. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Where did this kid get his hammer from without anyone noticing, bashing Liam in the head like, what the hell, some weirdo? Like, wow, taking sports way too far, but that's crazy. And it's even more so crazier that after that point, though, this bonk on the head somehow like jogged his brain to be like, oh my god, I want to be a musician. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, also, you know, I don't want to be hit on the head with hammers anymore. So I'm going to leave sports forever, just like absolutely forever and just go with music. And so Liam, on the other hand, with his musical influences, he began to really listen to and take inspiration from the Beatles, as we know, the Who, the Kinks, and the Jam. I think we all know this. If you don't know anything about Liam Gallagher or Oasis, I think you know as a basic fact that Liam Gallagher is John Lennon. <laughs> like, Liam is obsessed with John Lennon, and he calls himself John Lennon reincarnate. Take that for what it is. But, you know, he's got the look of John Lennon. He's got the feel of John Lennon. He's got the I don't give a fuck kind of, like, rock and roll vibe that John Lennon had at a certain point in his music career. He took major inspiration from him. The Beatles were, like, his number one band. Same with Noel as well in some fashion. So while Liam was actually also in a band at this point in time called The Rain, he was kind of, you know, floating around Manchester trying to get gigs and stuff like that. Noel, on the other hand, he was working construction jobs around Manchester and he got injured on the job. He got his foot injured and so he was relocated in the job to work in the warehouse while his foot was healing up. So and in the downtime, while he was in the warehouse, he wrote his first few songs that would be on future Oasis albums. 
And so after these jobs, he grew up a little bit more. In 1988, after a failed stint in a band, Noel became a sort of roadie for that band. And he was with them for two years on the road. And so he would do their sound check stuff. He would plug in their equipment. He would go on tour with them. I believe he said he went on tour to the Americas, to Japan, to a couple of other places. Like he was just having a great old time. No care in the world. And so while Noel was kind of out there touring, well, not touring, but you know, he was with the band touring and stuff like that. Liam was in Manchester and Liam was in the band called The Rain, like I mentioned. And so The Rain was put together with Liam and former school friends of his bassist, Paul McGuigan. Oh, guys, listen, <laughs> this was the name I was worried about pronouncing wrong. McGuigan. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's it. So he was the bassist in the band. And then along came guitarist Paul Arthurs, who's known as Bonehead. And then later on, drummer Tony McCarroll came into the picture. So they were known as the band called Rain. And they were trying to get gigs around Manchester. It wasn't really that easy for them to get gigs because apparently they just were not that good. <laughs> they just were not good. And this is later backed up when Noel comes back in 1991. According to him, he had a phone call with his mother one day and he's like, hey, like, what's going on over there in Manchester? And his mom was like, oh, you know, Liam is in a band and he's like playing shows. And he's like, what? Liam's in a band? Like, are you kidding? Like, Liam, our Liam, he's like singing in a band. She's like, oh, yeah, you know. So when he comes back, he obviously wants to see Liam play in this band. And so when he got back from these tours, he saw them play. Oh, I have to mention, they played at the Boardwalk in Manchester, which is also another famous music club or club. And Noel was like, what the hell is this shit? This is so, <laughs> this is so bad. He was just not really that impressed. So after the show, the band and Noel were just kind of talking. And Liam was like, well, why don't you be the manager for the band? And Noel was like, what? Be the manager? What do you mean? No, I don't want to be the manager for your band. Are you kidding? And so instead of being the manager, they um, said, well, why don't you join in the band then? And so he was like, all right, I'll join in the band on the condition that I will be the main songwriter. So Noel officially came in the band. And at some point, I really couldn't quite figure out when they changed their name to Oasis. But at some point, they changed their name because they mentioned that everywhere around them, they were seeing the name Oasis. This a company with Oasis in the name, Oasis that, Oasis this, that's when they used the name. So now they're formally known as Oasis. They're hanging around Manchester. They're doing their thing. And so in 1993, this is where they get their big break. The band was sharing a rehearsal room with an all-girl band named Sister Lovers. And one of the members, her name was Debbie Turner, she was an ex-girlfriend of Alan McGee. And so Alan McGee, he was the founder of Creation Records in Glasgow. Knowing this and hearing this, it's like, oh my God, let's get to know them a little bit more. They got to talking to the girls one day, like, hey, what are you guys doing? Debbie mentioned that they were going to play a gig in Glasgow. They invited Oasis to come along and be like on the bill and to play with them. And so they were like, all right, but how do we figure out the money to get to Glasgow? They figured out a way to scrounge up a couple of bucks between them. They rented a van and they drove all the way to Glasgow. That's how they got there. 
They performed at King Tut's Wawa Hut there in Glasgow, and Alan McGee said that he was gonna just surprisingly show up to the gig because he knew that Sister Lovers was gonna play and he wanted to surprise Debbie and the audience by being there, so he wasn't really supposed to be there and she didn't know that Alan McGee was gonna be there. So it was kind of like a faded moment that Alan was there and he was watching Oasis play. After the show, he went up to the band and he offered them a contract. He offered them a kind of record deal, if you will. And so they were like thrilled that this even happened to them. It's like one, two, three, so quick. So that's how the beginning of Oasis really started. So now we're moving on to their debut album, Definitely Maybe, which is one of their biggest records ever. And it really made a big impact on British music history. After signing with Creation Records, they put out a 12-inch single for the song Columbia, and they passed it around as a teaser for journalists and radio stations. And it was actually picked up by BBC Radio 1, which they were not expecting at all. And they played the song 19 times in two weeks. They had not put out Definitely Maybe at this point. It was just the single, and they had their demo tape. And so they started recording Definitely Maybe in late 1993. They went to the Mono Valley studio near Rockfield in Glasgow to record the album. And unfortunately, how this goes is there were a lot of failures in the recording process, but also mainly in like the mixing and producing aspect of it all. They had a producer there with them that was like just not getting the sound of the record that they wanted at all. And so they were running out of money. They had recorded the album, but the production was awful. And they were kind of panicking. Noel was like, what the hell do we do? And so Noel took the tapes with Alan McGee to some London studios to get them fixed as best that they could. So in this kind of period where they were fiddling around with the production of stuff, they took a break from recording. And in January of 1994, Oasis went on an international tour. And they were going on tour with The Verve for a show in Amsterdam. And so this is where, again, if you don't know anything about Oasis, this is one of the main things I think that everyone has heard about them. This kind of boat incident, if you will, this is what happens. To get from Manchester to Amsterdam, you had to get on a ferry that would take you there. Oasis got on this ferry. They were chilling around. It was actually a big ferry. It had a casino in there and like all this crazy stuff. For a couple of rowdy kids from Manchester, most particularly Liam was quite rowdy then. During this boat ride, there were apparently some West Ham fans. And West Ham is a, well, it's definitely a rival football league. The band was drinking. These West Ham guys were drinking. I'm sure it went something like, hey, you're a West Ham fan. Fuck off. I'm a Man United fan. And then it just got into this brawl where punches were being thrown and it just got way too out of control. Liam was put in handcuffs, put at the bottom of the boat to chill out, and the band got arrested. But that's one of the really big incidents that kind of put Oasis on the newspapers as being like a really rowdy, loud, boisterous rock and roll band. And another really big event that happened with the Gallagher brothers, this is one of the things, again, if you don't even know about Oasis, I know that you know about this. There's an interview that Lee Manol did at the Fort Crest Hotel in Glasgow on April 7th, 1994. So this was recorded and passed around because on this tape, they were talking about the ferry incident. 
Noel was like, if you think it's rock and roll to have a fight on a ferry and get kicked off of a ferry and get arrested, then blah, blah, blah. And Liam's like, yeah, it is rock and roll. And it's just like, they were going at it. It was getting kind of heated and crazy. It was going around everywhere. It was getting put in the papers. It was a mad scene. That kind of started that major sibling rivalry that lasted throughout all of time up until this point still, even to this day. So a few days later on April 11th, their first really big commercial single though, even bigger than Columbia, was Supersonic. And Supersonic released on April 11th. And in only a week of being aired, it went to number 31 on the British singles charts, which is quite impressive. So their second single, actually, to make them bigger, was called Shaker Maker. And this came out in about June. And this landed them on a spot on top of the pops. If you were like a small up-and-coming band and you got to make it on top of the pops, you knew that you made it big. I don't know what that would be comparable to today in America. Maybe if you got on like MTV? Yeah, I would, yeah, I would probably say yeah. Like if you got on MTV at the time, like that was big. So that's kind of where I guess it's somewhat comparable. But anyway, they got on top of the pops and that put them really more so at the forefront. And again, this was before the album even was released. Keep that in mind too. So now back at the studio, right, they went and they kept on recording at a different uh, recording studio, Sawmills Studio in Cornwall. It was just not working out the production of this record. They were just not happy. The band was trying different attempts to record their music again. And Noel had this kind of idea of overdubbing some of the instruments to get the sound that they wanted. So Noel, this time around, was like, all right, let me try to do this. And it just like, it got them closer to where they wanted, but it still wasn't their best. So again, they just were like, they had really no money to keep recording this album and messing around with it. It was getting really bad to where they thought that it just wouldn't happen. So in absolute desperation to get this album recorded, the record label called sound engineer Owen Morris. They got Owen on board on this project to help undo like the horrible mixing that has been done to this record. And what's really cool about it actually that comes full circle is Owen worked on the tracks for this album at Johnny Marr's own studio in Manchester. How funny is that, that Noel saw Johnny Marr on the top of the pops as a kid and was like, I want to be Johnny Marr. And now Johnny Marr is in his home studio in Manchester listening to Definitely Maybe, and he was kind of blown away by it. He was there while Owen was mixing the album. And so finally, after all this time, Owen finished the album in May. So even though the tapes had been mixed around in the hands of so many people, like so many producers got their hands on this album and had some kind of part in the album, the end product, interestingly enough, was obviously amazing because it became one of the biggest selling albums of all time in British history. So right before the album's release, their single Live Forever debuted on August 8th, being the band's first top 10 single on the charts. So all their other singles kind of didn't really get higher in the charts, but Live Forever became in the number 10. And so now, finally, Definitely Maybe released on August 29th, 1994, and it sold over 100,000 copies in the first four days alone, which is pretty good. For a debut album in England, I would say, yeah, that's pretty good. And then in September, it became number one on the British charts. Like, like I said, this was a massive UK success. This was the fastest selling debut album in British history. 
like huge. This was monumental for them. It put them in the forefront of the music scene and in the papers and on TV, on the radio, everywhere was Oasis. They really kind of kicked off the start of the Britpop movement. They were kind of the ones at the forefront. Blur is another one, but they were the ones really that kick-started the Britpop movement. So there you go. Interestingly enough, but I think maybe we all know this, the album really wasn't a success in the U.S. because it came out in 1994. Obviously, by that time, Kurt Cobain had passed away in April. But still, like, you know, there was Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots and all these other rock bands that were really big because the U.S. was so heavily embroiled in that kind of grunge scene. It didn't really phase the U.S. markets because the U.S. wasn't ready for Oasis then. And so in September the 29th, 1994, the worst Oasis concert of all time happened. While they were on tour in America, they went to the Whiskey A Go-Go. Well, this show in particular was like the absolute, like, worst of the worst it's historic for being the worst that they've ever done at this point the band had been up for like 36 42 hours not only was the band wired on drugs but the roadies and stuff were all on drugs too the sound was awful no one was keeping time with the music the lyrics were not there like nothing was coming together at all it was a train wreck <laughs> it was horrible and then most famously, too, at that show, Liam threw a tambourine at Noel. And Noel was like, fuck this. I'm getting out of here. This was the first breaking point for Noel where he seriously considered leaving the band. He's like, I'm done. I'm out of here. He leaves and he goes on a bit of a uh, John Lennon Lost Weekend type deal, if you will, to San Francisco. What maybe some of you don't know was three days prior, right, to this Whiskey A Go Go show, he meets this woman. I believe her name is Michelle Lim. And they formed, um, like, a connection, like a relationship, if you will. At this point in time, he wanted to get away from everything. And so he went to her, her apartment in San Francisco to get away from it all. Like, he just up and left. The band had no idea where Noel went. And so she was trying to talk Noel down from leaving the band and quitting. And she's like, you can't quit now. Like, you're going to be famous. You're going to be big. You can't quit now. And so after a few days, he eventually got back with the band. So absolutely horrible event that happened there at the Whiskey A Go Go. They go back to England. They're like, all right, let's regroup for a minute. <laughs> and so now we're getting into their second album, which I love. It's my favorite album of theirs, personally. This is the one that broke the U.S. market, like, wide open. So they recorded their second album in the spring of 1995 at Rockfeld Studios in Wales. And apparently it's so crazy that Noel said that they recorded like one song a day and they completed the album in 12 days in not even two weeks. They were trying to just pump this album out like, all right, let's just get this album rolling. One song a day, 12 days, they were done. That's it. The album was done. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. All right, we're done. Let's cut it. <laughs> Honestly, for 12 days in a recording studio for one of the best albums of all time that rocked the British charts and the US charts, I mean, listen, it works. And so What's the Story, Morning Glory, released October 2nd, 1995. This became the third best-selling album in British history. You gotta give it up to them. They know what they're doing. 
What was interesting, though, was that they expected the album to not really be well-received as the record company and the fans were kind of hoping for a definitely maybe part two album, if you will. You know how it goes, like when a band puts out a debut album and it sets in stone like the sound that the band should continue to follow, and yet they divulge or they diverge from that just a bit, the fans are like, whoa, that's different, but at the same time it works. And it was a big international success in the U.S. Weirdly enough, though, the music critics gave this album bad reviews. Because, again, I think it's the whole thing of they were expecting a definitely maybe part two. Music critics, I'm telling you, they don't know what they're talking about. But also, another fact, the drummer, Alan White, took over for drummer Tony McCarroll before the album was finished. So now we have Alan White in the band, too. I forgot to mention that. Grab your popcorn, boys and girls, because now we're going to be talking about the big feud with Blur, the battle of Britpop. Boom, boom, boom. In the ring, we got Blur on one side. On the other side, we got Oasis on the other. We got middle-class kids from London. On the other side, we got working-class heroes from Manchester, North versus South. Who's going to win? Well, I'll tell you. But at the same time, who do you think won? Because at the end of the day, sales and stuff may mean something to record companies and stuff like that, but it matters to you too. Who do you think won? So, Blur versus Oasis. This was big. This was plastered on every music publication, every newspaper stand. You saw a picture of Damon Alburn, and then you saw like Liam Gallagher, like head to head, like who's gonna win this battle of the Britpop? So now, Blur. They were a typical indie rock band from London. A little bit from Blur, on 1993, after a two-month American tour, Blur came back with the idea of wanting to put forward the message in their next album of British life in their music and in their music videos. I think you guys know Park Life from them. That was kind of their biggest song that really was unapologetically kind of representing the British lifestyle, kind of more in the South. And so similar kind of to how grunge was really captivating the American youth, right? Britpop was the same thing for British kids. So compared to their album, Park Life as well, which was much more of a success than their previous album was, Oasis, in their album definitely maybe, was more actually for the everyday common man, and it wasn't just written about the everyday common man. Some could say Blur was just writing about what that life could be and that how would they know they're just these posh kids from London, but that Oasis was actually writing tunes that you could relate to because they knew what it was like to grow up middle class or maybe even lower class in Manchester. So it became a clash of the classes as well, if you consider it that too. So both of these bands, right, however way you spin it, whatever band you like more, or if you like both of them, they too, both of these bands, became two of the biggest bands in British history at the time. The rivalry was set in motion. So what was really kickstarting this battle was the fact that both bands had albums set to be released in the fall of 1995. Blur's was going to be in September, and Oasis was going to be in October. They could each have equal opportunity in the charts. Cool, no worries about that. The issue, however, comes in with the singles primarily, because again, as I mentioned with Top of the Pops, when a band makes it big with a single, you can get on Top of the Pops. So there was kind of a little bit more at stake with the singles coming out. Oasis had set their single, Roll With It, to be released on August 14th, and Blur's Country House, that single, was going to be released a week after that. 
there was just a bit of like who was going to get their single highest in the charts kind of thing. And so knowing what was at stake, Blur's team, and some believe it was Damon that was pushing this, they came up with the solution of releasing Country House on the same day as Roll With It. And the media, they were just like foaming at the mouth. They were like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is amazing content. So, you know, they were pitting the bands against each other pretty hard. You know, Blur, are you Blur or Oasis? Which side are you on? In the end, though, Blur outsold Oasis by 58,000 copies, and they were the ones that played on top of the pops. They won the singles battle, but their album, The Great Escape, hit number one on the charts, but it didn't score as high in sales as Park Life. So their album did well in sales, but it didn't compare to Park Life. Oasis, however, some say that they won the war because Morning Glory went on to be the third best-selling album in British music history. I think most importantly, Oasis broke through to the American people, where Blur had not. Blur had not really made it through to the American crowd until they released the most non-Blur-sounding song that Blur came out with, Song 2. That was the really big battle at the time. However, they would square up again in 2005, when at this point, Blur was done. Damon created Gorillaz, right? And Gorillaz, they really made it big in the U.S. They were like everywhere. They were huge. And so they overtook the charts in 2005 with their song Dare. And Oasis had their single, The Importance of Being Earnest, which comparing the two, Dare won that one on the charts. The feud between Blur and Oasis kind of ended, but like not really, because in 2018, Noel and Damon appeared together on the song We Got the Power and they were performing that live. So they were on stage together, like they became friends. They were like, look, burying the hatchet, no ill will. Liam, however, was like, all right, you guys, you seriously going to do this? Liam goes on on his Twitter. It's really funny. (laughs) It's quite entertaining, I'm not going to lie. That, in a nutshell, is the battle of the Britpop bands Blur and Oasis. So another major breakthrough success coming in for Oasis was their famous Nebworth gigs. They talked about this in their um, documentary Supersonic, and they're actually releasing a movie on the Nebworth gigs later on this year in September. I forget the date. I have it in my notes here. Oasis announced they were going to be performing shows at Nebworth House in Hertfordshire on Saturday the 10th and Sunday the 11th of August 1996. Tickets went on sale May 11th at 9 a.m., the same day that Manchester United beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final. If you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let me tell you, I have learned Manchester and Liverpool are at odds with each other. They are like rivalries when it comes to football. And for Manchester to win against Liverpool, that was like a big win for Manchester. And so with Oasis coming out too, with tickets to become one of their best shows of all time, it was just a great day for Manx in Manchester. It was said that 2.6 million people applied for tickets, which was 5% of the British population at that time, which was crazy. Tickets were priced at about £22.50, which was considered maybe a little steep back in the day, but I mean, compared to now, to get an Oasis ticket for $22? Yeah, I'll take that. So the crowds for these shows were the biggest that Nebworth House had ever seen. These gigs, right, they played to 125,000 people per night. 
which is mind-blowing. Supporting acts for the Saturday show were truly legendary. The supporting acts for Saturday were The Prodigy, Manic Street Preachers, Ocean Color Scene, The Chemical Brothers, and The Bootleg Beatles. And John Squire of The Stone Roses made an appearance for the encore song Champagne Supernova. Like, come on! You are so lucky if you were one of these people that went to this show. Liam was doing really well. His voice was on point. The band was so on point. The crowds were amazing. Like, this was their best gig of all time. So they were just coasting along on the success after Morning Glory in the mid-90s. So good. But now, see, this is kind of where, as well, things kind of falter a little. Because on August the 23rd of that year in 96, the band was scheduled to perform their MTV Unplugged show, but Liam reportedly pulled out of the show due to a illness. Apparently, though, despite Liam not wanting to join them on stage, he was there and he heckled the band from the crowd. So he was there, but he said he wouldn't be there. It, it was weird. But anyway, so the members minus Liam ended up playing a 12-set show. So that wasn't too bad. And then again, a few days later, on August 27th, Liam pulls out last minute from the U.S. tours. Apparently, there was a situation with him and his wife at the time where they were selling their house and she didn't really have anywhere to live. And so they were figuring out like a living situation, which is like, dude, bad timing if you're going on a U.S. tour. So Liam pulls out last minute leaving Noel to front the band. But then Liam eventually joined three days later after sorting out the house situation. But the tour was subsequently canceled after two weeks, probably in part due to tensions in the band. It's just compiling a list again of fights and tension and issues between Liam and Noel that has yet to be hashed out properly. So their next album was called Be Here Now. That released in 1997. They wanted this album to be kind of a contrast to their previous two albums. This one was kind of more of a bigger sound with a bit more rock infused than the previous two albums had brought to the table. Interestingly enough, though, the title Be Here Now was actually a reference to a quote that John Lennon said about rock music's message, Be Here Now. Again, they take major inspiration from John Lennon. It's just everywhere in their music. Unfortunately, though, commercially, this was considered a really big letdown. It wasn't as famous or as successful as their previous two albums, and there was just so much more fights and tensions going on between Liam and Noel. They were in the tabloids all the time, and that was more so taking the center stage for the band than this album. So the album was being kind of overshadowed by these boys going back and forth all the time. And so tensions were kind of at an all-time high um, at this point. Paul Arthurs and Paul McGuigan, the two Pauls, left the band, okay? <laughs> so this left Liam and Noel and Alan to work on the next album, which was Standing on the Shoulders of Giants that came out in the year 2000. Apparently, this did kind of nothing for the charts. Even though it was considered a slight improvement from Be Here Now, it's just like everything subsequently kind of after Morning Glory just, it wasn't living up to the hype or the potential that they had set up for themselves. So it was kind of a commercial letdown as well. And there was also really high tensions in the band. 
It came to the point where this was the second time that Noel considered leaving Oasis on May 21st in the year 2000. Their shows in Spain were canceled after Alan injured his arm, and so while they were in Spain with nothing really to do, what do you do? You go to a pub and you drink. Liam with drink and Noel with drink, you get what's going to happen here. So after some time, after a lot of drinking, Liam gets confrontational with, with Noel for some reason. It gets to a point where Liam goes as far as bringing up the legitimacy of Noel's daughter with his ex-wife, Meg Matthews. And Noel was like, how dare you bring my daughter into this? And they beat each other up. It was really, really bad. Like, Noel was like, I'm done. He didn't officially leave, but that was like the second time. Now they get onto their album, Heathen Chemistry, which came out in 2002. Guitarist Jim Archer and bassist Andy Bell joined the band at this point, so the lineup was changing a little bit. This album was considered more straightforward of a rock style, and everyone in the band contributed to the music. It wasn't just like Noel writing all the songs and everyone else doing their own parts individually. They all came together, and they contributed more as a band, which was a big difference from their other albums. So at least that was something different. So, you know, during the tours for this album, some shows were canceled and Liam would have moments of walking off stage during shows for whatever reason, or just not even finishing an, an entire set. And they went on a tour in Europe, and so that European tour ended in Munich with a brawl between Liam and a police officer. Liam apparently was throwing punches at the officer, but the officer got the upper hand. And so Liam was like, all right, you guys go back home. I got to go see a dentist about these teeth, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so following that album, their other album, Don't Believe the Truth, came out in 2005. And a really cool fact, actually, Zach Starkey, who is the son of Ringo Starr, he replaced drummer Alan White on that album. And so then their album from 2008, Dig Your Soul, was released. The single, The Shock of the Lightning, made some waves on rock radio. But none of these albums that they were really coming out with really did a whole lot of anything. Maybe the songs weren't as great anymore. The tensions were becoming palpable. And now this here, this right here marks the end of Oasis, as it were. April of 2009, Noel made a very famous quote to Q Magazine about Liam. So he said about Liam, He's the angriest man you'll ever meet. He's like a man with a fork in a world of soup. I have to laugh because that's kind of funny, but I get that metaphor though. So a few months later, on August the 28th, the band was set to go on stage for their Rockin' Cien Festival in Paris. An argument broke out, what's new? Liam swung Noel's guitar around like an axe, apparently, and was just having fun. Noel was like, all right, I'm done. So the show was canceled, along with the rest of the tour. And so the following day, on the 29th of August, 2009, Noel announces officially that he's quitting. So the first quote that he comes out with on this is, It's with some sadness and great relief to tell you that I quit Oasis tonight. People will write and say what they like, but I simply could not go on working with Liam a day longer. And then he adds to his statement by putting out um, another quote a couple of days later, saying, The details are not important and are of too great a number to list, but I feel you have the right to know that the level of verbal and violent intimidation towards me, my family, friends, and comrades has become intolerable. 
and the lack of support and understanding from my management and bandmates has left me with no other option than to get me cape, than to get me cape and seek pastures new. So he felt like he was being majorly disrespected on all fronts. He could not do it anymore. And so that's the end of Oasis right there. No leaves, Oasis is done. However, that doesn't mean that the rest of the band members just twiddle their thumbs and move on with their lives. Liam tried to get the rest of the bandmates together, forming what was known as BDI in 2009 at that point. So to kind of summarize, BDI came out with a few albums. They came out with Different Gear Still Speeding in 2011, and then they came out with B in 2013 after disbanding in 2014. And so a few years later, Liam tweeted, actually, that he was working on new solo material for an album. And then this became the album called As You Were, which released in October of 2017. So that's kind of what Liam's been doing with music after Oasis. I suspect he will still most definitely be putting out solo albums and singles and music videos and things like that. That album is honestly quite good, if I must say. If you have not listened to it, take a listen. It's, it's got some great songs on there. So now we're getting on to Noel after Oasis, right? In 2010, Noel created his own band called Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. He came out with the self-titled album for the band in 2011 and then the 2015 album Chasing Yesterday. And so as of recently, during the pandemic last year on April 30th, Noel released an unheard Oasis demo song called Don't Stop to their official YouTube page. Liam saw this and he was pissed. He tweeted in response that if Noel's going to be releasing demos, that Liam should be on it and Bonehead should be on the guitar. Otherwise, he says that no one really gives a hoot. <laughs> no one really cares about it. I wonder if he's going to be putting out more unheard Oasis demos. That would be nice, honestly, to hear that. I would love to hear more. And so the most recent thing um, that I kind of touched upon earlier is that there's a new documentary, like I said, that's going to be released in September on the 23rd about the Nebworth gigs from 1996. But yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen as well, um, after Oasis split up, that, you know, Noel and Liam, they've been on their own separate interviews, and everyone brings up, when's Oasis getting back together? Noel's like, I'll do it for like a hundred million pounds or something, and Liam's like, I'll do it for free, man. Maybe one day Noel and Liam will bury the hatchet, and we will get that long-awaited Oasis reunion. If that will happen, I'm telling you, there might be a reunion tour. Who knows? But that's kind of where Oasis is left off at that point. Their first two albums really were the one to break, you know, all the charts. They broke through to the international market. It's different when you're bandmates and you're just friends that can consider each other like brothers. But when you're actually blood brothers and you have that bitter resentment towards each other, yeah, that's really difficult. And I think we all want to see them bury the hatchet. Will they? I mean, I think it's best to remain hopeful. You never know. Oh, my throat is killing me. But that's the end of Oasis. And that is the end of the very first installment of these Manchester tapes from the Across the Pond saga. I hope you guys have enjoyed and you've learned something that you haven't known about before. Have an awesome day, everyone, and I'll see you again later. Bye, guys.